Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal. And I'm here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing good. How are you doing? All right. Another night at the office, eh? In uh, Bruce, I need to start off with a, an apology to fans of Sniff and the Tears. Because uh-huh. uh, I got that lyric to that to driver's seat completely wrong. Well, driving day. on a Saturday night was right. It's a little. It, it's doing all right. A yeah. little jiving. Jiving. On oh, it's night. Ju- okay. It sounds like driving to me. But yeah. Anyway, I think I said it was something like slow dancing or slow moving on a Saturday. I just had it completely botched. <laughs> I was almost. As I only bad had as... it partially botched. Okay. You only had it partially. Yes. Um, Jeez, the whole song's about driving. How could they not? How could they be saying jiving? Well, it was the seventies, Bruce. <laughs> That's all I can say about that. Hmm. Um, Bruce, that was a game that brought me right, right back to the nineteen eighties, if not the nineteen seventies of the WHA when when every game was topsy turvy. But this really was an Oilers style victory of the eighties. Just a wild and woolly affair, tons of scoring, eight to four for the Oilers um, in a game that in theory, they for two periods, they, they deserve to lose. And um, in the end, the grade A shots, Bruce, were 20 to 17 for Detroit with the subset of five alarm shots, nine to eight for Detroit. So the Red Wings, um, they are a fast hockey team. That was one of the... That was as fast a game as I can remember. I think we've seen some other fast games with the Oilers, this Oilers team, with Colorado and some other teams like that. Mm-hmm. But man, this team, this this <clears> game <throat> went at a just a reckless, rapid pace, and the skill of the players it just astonished me throughout the game. I thought it was a, of course, it's a thrilling game in the end because the Oilers mm-hmm. um, absolutely kicked butt in the third period, scoring what five goals in the third period. So. Yeah, I found a Detroit four at Edmonton eight. <clears throat> Game five of the 1988 uh, Campbell Conference Final, a clinching game, <clears throat> and it was the same kind of kind of devil may care about defense kind of game. That was the game where Detroit, I think a few of their players tied one on the night before the game or something. They got into a little trouble after because. They their came coach? back to they came back to Edmonton down three one and oh yeah kind of on the cusp of going out and they knew it apparently anyway I can't remember enough details to implicate anyone in particular but there was some kind of team fail well and it was Edmonton, the eighties first Edmonton smoked them eight to four uh, in that game with uh, uh, it was just. Same sort of thing, you know. I guess they uh, had Iserman on that team then, eh? Iserman was Kalima on that team, or had, yeah, I guess he would have. Peter Kalima would have been on that Red Wings team. Yeah. Mark Maybe Mess- there was a. Go ahead. Mark Messier had four points. Gretzky uh, had three. Simpson three. Krushelnitsky three. So pretty standard fare, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really was. Well, this was a night um, 
you know, uh, and we're going to get to this, you know, but Connor McDavid put on an utterly memorable performance. Um, although the details of it already are kind of blending together because there was just so many outstanding moments. Bruce, this is our two good things, two bad things, two numbers in one conundrum podcast because it was such a thrilling game. We'll go with two good things each. What is your first good thing? Yeah, you mentioned his name already, Connor <clears throat> David. Uh, hard to argue with six assists in this game. In fact, his stat line, according to uh, the event summary, six assists, six points, plus six. All the and points that even strength based. Yeah, well, there weren't any power plays for the Oilers. Yeah. Right? So all of their goals were pluses. And uh, Detroit had a couple of power play goals, so they only had two goals that were scored at. Um, and for actually, McDavid was on for seven and one against. <clears throat> yeah. the, uh, the goal that Drysaddle set up to uh, Hyman uh, that made it six to three. McDavid was on the ice and very near uh, making the uh, seventh making assist. the steal. Yeah, yeah. He like I, I watched closely to see if his stick got in there yeah. as the Detroit guy was coughing the puck up. Might have kicked it. Might have kicked that puck. You never know because it was a turnover. He. He was integral to that goal. Yeah, he caused the pressure for sure. <clears throat> what was your favorite play, Bruce, that he made? Oh, it had to be that late one, which uh, he set up Evander Kane with yeah. the double spin move. Holy. Like he spun back and then he spun forward and around and whipped it across. And Kane was, give him credit, going to the net with the stick on the ice. And when the puck arrived on the stick, he actually shot it into the net. He wasn't so surprised that the pass came that he didn't know what to do with it. And uh, he did know what to do with it and buried it. But the 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 move that McDavid put on poor Moritz Sider, who oh, they had a one on one battle all night, and so Moritz speak. Sider got taken to school. Did he ever? My goodness, he lost some some uh, epic battle. It wasn't that you know he's a good player, and he, you know, it's just McDavid got the better of him. It was like McDavid said, "All right, son, yeah, I'm going to make you my personal project tonight." <laughs> <laughs> and he just took over. So he had three secondary assists in the early part of the game <clears throat> and then three primaries down the stretch. And in fact, he had uh, four assists in the third period, which uh, I think that ties the club record. Yeah. Because the and... record's five and it has only, and Gretzky actually didn't, didn't have that record, believe it or not. That is un- unbelievable that Wayne didn't have that record. But yeah, no. any kind of assist record. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, what a what a game by McDavid! That was fantastic. It would have been so much fun to be there at the at the arena. There's nights like this that uh, the people who are there, I'm sure, are just pinching themselves, saying like, "We are so lucky um, to be Edmonton fans in the Connor McDavid era," and we are, and we are. Yep, Bruce five, Ma- five five assists. Dale Howard, Chuck, <clears throat> and Chris Letang, who just did it this year in the big game that he had. Uh, uh, just after Christmas, he tied Howard Chuck's record, and then there's a whole ton of guys with four, and n- numerous times it's Gretzky, 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 yeah. Gretzky, Gretzky, nine, nine times he did it as an Oiler. Oh my goodness! <laughs> what a player! <laughs> 
think that's right. Yeah, eight, 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 <clears throat> maybe eight is an oiler, and then again later is a king. Yeah, nine times is an oiler. So anyway, uh, Conor McDavid has entered that uh, realm uh, with the great uh, uh, Wayne Gretzky and the other oilers. Oh yeah, Yari Curry and Mark Messier both did it. So it's a it's a it's a tidy it's a tidy list, but anyway, nice to nice to get on any kind of list with names like that. Wayne Gretzky, Mark Messier, Yari Curry. I mean, you're talking about La Creme de la Creme in Edmonton Oilers history right there. Indeed. Uh, my good thing, uh, Bruce, is the fourth goal of the game. Game's tied 3-3 going into the um, third period. It's anybody's game. And Detroit's dominated, absolutely dominated the second period. Scoring a couple goals to get uh, to get back into it after being down 3-1. And everyone's thinking, this is exactly like the first 13 games of the season, because it was. The Oilers were wretched defensively in that stretch of play. The only difference was, was um, um, well, my... You know, I'll, I'll, I'll just do my two good things in order here, okay. one after another. My Skinner was the difference. He was fantastic in um, holding the Oilers in the game and keeping it to, well, he kept the 3-3. He did lead, let in a couple goals there uh, in the mm -hmm. end, but, it, but for a long time, it looked like he was just going to stone the Red Wings and keep them out of it, keep them right out of it. Um, but they <clears throat> they got a couple good goals. Um but Stuart Skinner was was really really strong in this game, and and talking about eighties hockey, it reminded me this game. He, he reminded me of Grant Fuhr, where Grant Fuhr was so good in the moments he needed to be good, and mm -hmm. um, Skinner was as well. There was always goals that got by Grant Fuhr. He didn't have a high save percentage. It was in the eight nineties at that time, and his uh, goals against average wasn't spectacular. But he was a spectacular goalie. And the the best goalie of his of the 1980s, um, in my opinion, Patrick Roy fans will beg to differ. Well, but, he uh, only played the last part of the decade, whereas Fury was really there since '81. And he was the starting yeah. goalie in the '84 and '87 Canada Cups. He was deemed Canada's best goalie for in '84 and '87. So uh, yeah, no, Grant Fury is was a was such a brilliant uh, hockey player. Anyway, Skinner reminded me of of that tonight. He was just super solid in this game, and um, he, you know, he did let in four goals. But that was on twenty grade A shots, so you know you'd expect five or six. And um, he certainly held up his end of the bargain. So he's my first good thing, and I'll just morph to my second. So you head into the third period. You know what's going to happen? Are the orders going to like if they lose? It's three out of four games, Bruce, and they're heading on. They've got a tough schedule ahead of them. This isn't. This is a game they've got to win. This is. This is marked on the schedule right now as must-win victory for the Edmonton Oilers. And um, you're, I'm starting to wonder. Like, they seem to have forgotten all of their their solid defensive habits, and they're giving up two-on-ones, and they're um, they look wretched on defense, ragged, overconfident, lazy. Um, all the bad things on defense. All the bad habits have come to the fore again. But then all of a sudden, um, early in the third period, Connor McDavid comes to life. He, um, excuse me, he um, 
just totally barges in and beats um cider on the uh on the puck protection in the corner and cider he grabs cider's stick and uh the morris cider is really upset about that after the goal but it's a you know he's the one who's who hacked it in there on mcdavid threw it inside on mcdavid's body what's he supposed to do you know like to hell with you buddy and he takes the puck puts it around the net and um there's Evan Bouchard right in the slot. Now, I believe this is the play. Bouchard started off this play with a great stretch pass. Is that not the case, Bruce? Yes. I think this is, this is a yeah, bullet, bullet stretch absolutely pass. Absolutely fantastic stretch pass yeah. from Bouchard to McDavid to, to break in on the play. David breaks in. He does what he does to Cider. Goes around the net, and he makes a fantastic pass to Bouchard, who gets off a great um, great A shot from the slot. And all of a sudden, and I've been thinking all game long, this line of Fogel, McLeod, and Holloway stinks. Like, they're just not getting anything done. They've been stinking ever since they got together. These players have got to, they've got to contribute. They've got to do more. Because there's been a number of games in a row where McLeod, Fogel, and Holloway haven't done enough. Right. And I was starting to get a little frustrated with all of them, thinking, like, this, we need a goal from one of these guys. And lo and behold, Dylan Holloway comes in and makes an absolutely uh, courageous, reckless, um hustle play diving for the puck in the crease to put it in the net <laughs> he tops it all off by bar skating head first in mcdavid's knees and skates it was a scary moment actually reminded me of taylor hall in warm-up there where he got cut <clears throat> but um he takes mcdavid off his feet but both of them are fine in the wipeout play but um it was a fantastic hustle play by dylan holloway and exactly what he needed to do exactly the kind of i was thinking like they don't hit anybody fogel mcleod and holloway they're not they're flying around but they don't hit anybody they don't have the composure to make a play with the puck right now because they're you know they're going a million miles an hour it's kind of un un uh, you know uh, their their play was marked by incredible speed but uh, but at the same time of lack of intensity and a lack of physical play but he brought it all on that play yeah. he, he just and he slammed it in the net so Fantastic goal for Dylan Holloway. Yeah, he's getting plus two in his grade for that play. Usually I give one for, you know, contribution to an out-and-out goal, but that was yeah. above and beyond. And not just that, it was an absolutely gigantic goal in the, in the scheme of this game where Detroit had all the momentum coming into the third period and all of a sudden Edmonton had it. And it really swung on that, on that play and that effort. And... It was good to see because Edmonton's, I thought their effort wasn't up to par for two periods. Detroit was out skating them, out hustling them, and they were, you know, uh, they were on the front foot, and Edmonton was anything but on the front foot. And as you mentioned, that line, and they weren't alone, but there was, there was, uh, there was plenty of issues. But all of a sudden, that that play seemed to tilt the ice and <clears throat> deflate the Red Wings as well, because. They've been pretty super up to that point. I was very impressed with the large stretches of Detroit's game tonight. I think it was deflating. It was a very dramatic goal and um, changed the game. Bruce, what is your second good thing? Yeah, I'm going to go with uh, Evan Bouchard's game and especially his third period where he came up. I think that's when he got all three of his points, goal and goal and two assists 
plus three on the night, five shots and uh, eight shot attempts, eight contributions to grade A chances for Edmonton, three contributions to grade A chances by Detroit. <laughs> but, you know, a nice positive spread for a D-man. I mean, many times we'll see a night where that's zero and three, you know, or whatever. But he was a, a big uh, influence on the offensive side of the game, making good, strong passes. And... Uh, <clears throat> Letting that bomb go and uh, and racking up some points. I thought it was the best he's looked offensively in a while. I think he's been mm-hmm. a little bit in the doldrums this last little while, Boosh. And uh, he came out of them tonight with a, with a very strong performance. He sure did. I think he scored his goal early in the second period. We have oh. Nuge, Nuge setting him up. I'm just trying to think of the play. Oh, yeah, you're right, you're right, you're right. <clears throat> Um, what was the play? Nuge sets him up. McDavid's in on it as well. Yeah, McDavid set up Nuge, and he. Uh, oh, it was. It wasn't a bomb. It was just a good shot. Mm-hmm. As I recall Bouchard right from the on. slot. Yeah, that's right. It was a beautiful slot shot, mm-hmm. um, where um, Nugent made a really nice pass from behind the net, and he caught him in Correct. the front end. Yeah, there's and, so many uh, goals, it's hard to Yeah, remember. yeah, no, there's a flurry. It's <clears throat> all a flurry. I mean, 37 grade A shots, 12 goals. This was a pretty busy game. Yeah, it really was, Bruce. Um, let's shift over to our bad things. What's your bad thing? Uh, I got to go with, the uh, again, penalty kill. Oh, yeah. Penalty kill. That's just after going on a fantastic 40 for 41 run, they went on a wretched one for six stretch, including two more tonight, where neither time did they ever once clear the puck out of their own zone. The first unit with with Ryan and Nugent Hopkins and with two different defense pairs. The first one they had uh, was a minute or so the power play lasted. Yeah, and, it was a long stretch for those poor guys, and, and it but they, sliced open but they, wide. But they could not get the puck <clears> over <throat> the line. They got a piece of it two or three times, and you know, knocked it into the corner or off to the sub. Detroit would always win the race to it. Of course, they got the extra man, and finally, did slice open for the uh, Patrick Kane made two fantastic passes in a row, about ten seconds apart. He ripped did. up both Nuge and um, DeHarnay both times. Yeah. Uh, with, you know, two distinctly different plays. And yet it was... Uh, uh, and then the second one, lose the face-off, and they just drove the puck into the net, and wham, 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 three great shots from, like, inside the crease. Nurse is down on one knee trying to prevent a pass out, and the guy just cuts right in between him and into the blue paint because he wasn't protecting the blue paint. He was protecting a pass that didn't happen. And once you're down on one knee, it's kind of hard to then do, you know, a lot of movement at least. And so he got burned on that one. Cece got burned on that one. And the face-off loss didn't help either. And, you know, it was just like, it's too easy, boys, you know. Yeah, killed two minutes and you get to 10 seconds and they have three five alarm chances and a goal in 10 seconds. Like, hello. <laughs> the first, and then the, I will give credit for the power with PK. That, <clears throat> the one they did kill in the third period was huge. It was great. 
And at that point, it was 5-3. And if Detroit scores there, there's half a period left. And it's right back to a white-knuckle ride the rest of the way. And they actually did a competent job on that on that third one. And Knobloch, first... I'll give, give, sorry, I'll give him credit. He went back with his first <clears throat> unit. Like I was saying to to Anna, my wife, that the whenever if they have to kill another penalty, you know, we still don't even know who is the second unit because Janmark's in the press box and the second unit's never even made it over the boards yet. But whoever they are, try them because the first unit was getting destroyed. But he stuck to the game plan and they got it done. So hopefully a turning point. Turned out to be McLeod and Brown, which is not a bad second McLeod unit. McLeod and Brown, yeah, okay. <clears throat> the um, the first power play goal, I'm going to give just credit to Patrick Kane. He just is such a, you know, sometimes oh. fantastic offensive players just beat you. And yes. those were brilliant passes, brilliant mm-hmm. plays, very hard plays for Nuge and Darnay to cut out. And they failed. But mm-hmm. what a great player Patrick Kane is. What a fantastic offensive a- attacking hockey player. He's um, it's been great for a long time, and he still is. The second one, though, I think there was a play. There was one of the the plays in that one, just off the faceoff, as you say, that I think kind of epitomizes what's going wrong in the PK. And it was Cody CC. And it was just, it's just, it was just a, f- a fractional error. Mm-hmm. The the puck goes down low, and then it gets passed back out. I think um, kind of above the just to the top of the circle. And CC comes out too far. He's too aggressive. He's overconfident. And and this is what we saw. This is, I think, what we saw uh, in other penalty kill situations recently. The players think they're they're gods on the PK now, and they can do anything out there. Skinner's going to stop. Yeah, they're going to fly around and attack, and they're going to somehow win the puck and get it out because no one scores on them. And what they're doing is they're overcommitting, and they're being just too aggressive, and they're not being cautious and smart. They're not being disciplined on the PK. They're flying around. Janmark and Brown were doing it the other game, flying around, not covering anybody. And this time it was CeCe. And, and again, it was just a matter of a few feet where mm-hmm. he comes out too far. And if he hadn't done that, then there's not, there, there might be one chance in front of the net. But on the second chance, he's there with his, um, he's there with his stick to cross-check the guy to the ice, essentially. There's just one grade A shot from the side of the net. There's not three. And he left Nurse, and um, it was all Nurse uh, with two-on-one down there, and Ryan tried to join in. But it's too late because Cody sees he had wandered out too far. So I think the the main problem on the penalty kill is overconfidence. Um, and then, you know, panic sets, <laughs> panic sets it. But it's it's essentially they're just, they're just cavalier is what's gone on. And they've got to just get back to playing more cautious and disciplined penalty killing a little less aggressive um, on the puck and covering off covering off around the net. And when you do get it on your stick, clear the damn thing over the blue line. That would help too. There was a couple of those, wasn't there? <laughs> <clears throat> there was indeed. Yeah. Okay. Um, my my uh, bad thing. So, Bruce, I think – so the, the Detroit Red Wings took it over in the second period, took over the play. And my bad thing is just night. It was it was maybe the worst order shift of the year, which is saying a lot because there wasn't a goal scored against this this group of players. But it was a catastrophe from beginning to end. And it was the line of Dreisaitl, um, Evander Kane, and Corey Perry were out for offensive zone. 
face off about four and a half minutes into the uh, second period. And CC and Nurse are out there. And they, I don't want to say Drysdale is a slow player, but CC, Perry, it's a and slow Kane. Line. It's a slow line. CC's, Perry's slow. CC's slow by NHL standards. Kane has his moments. I mean, Nurse is a fast hockey player, and Drysdale can be fast, but not when he gets tired. And he was. <laughs> He certainly got very tired on this shift. It lasted 90 seconds, and he was in the middle of a lot of the chaos. There was no fewer than three two-on-one breaks in this sequence. Mm-hmm. There was five excellent scoring opportunities. They didn't always get shots on net no. because the puck bounced. But <clears throat> it starts out with um, Bouchard. Excuse me, it was... Wait a second, was that Bouchard? We have Bouchard. Was I'm just wondering if it was Bouchard. Did he switch off? Maybe our um, scoring chance document is incorrect, or maybe my notes are. Anyway, I have Bouchard losing a battle at the blue line, but I, I must have been CC anyway. Um, dry subtle slow on the back check, and Kane breaks in, and he misses the net with his shot. Um, the, the last moment, it goes off his stick. But then immediately, there's a two-on-one, and Perron breaks in, and uh, after a flyby uh, by uh, Corey Perry and a, and a lost battle by CC. And and Perron puts it through Skinner's legs, and he almost scores, but it squirts through and goes wide. Next, we have Kane wide open, found wide open in the slot. And there's mass confusion and panic at this point. Dry settles dragging around the ice, and uh, Kane um, he battles Nurse. He kind of flubs the shot, and Nurse Nurse stops him. Then there's another two on one. This time, Nurse has caught up the ice, and neither Perry nor Dry settle covers for him. And Rasmussen goes in for a slot shot. And finally, there's a, a break down the side where both Nurse and Cece get beat. And Drysaddle slow to on the wraparound. And there's another uh, grade A shot off that. It was, it was unreal that they didn't score. I just kept waiting for the puck to go in the net. And of mm-hmm. course, the two goals came quickly after that. Because yeah. was, that wasn't enough of a wake-up call for the Oilers. No, it wasn't. So, what a... That whole shit. second period was... It felt like Detroit had 10 two-on-ones. I'm sure if we went back and looked at the video closely, it was maybe only seven or eight, but it wasn't like a small number. There was a lot of odd man rushes. And some, I will say, some emergency defensive plays by the defenders. I mean, Nurse made a great play, sliding play to take away one two-on-one. And Echo made one good hard hustle back after he coughed the puck up to turn it to to cancel out the guy that had gotten behind him. And so there, you know, there was a few hero plays in there, but what was missing almost entirely was solid defense. Like hero plays, you you shouldn't have to make them three or five times in a period, right? They should be once in a while when, you know, desperation, but geez, that second period. Oh, it's going to be a very hard game to, to grade. (laughs) It was a mess, and I and I think actually the even strength play was marked is marked by the same thing we see on the power on the on the shorthanded play, just this kind of overconfidence, oh. cavalier attitude towards defense that like yeah we're a great defensive team now, and it's just oh. going to happen because we, we've we've limited the team to one point five goals against for the last month and a half, and this is how this is who we are, but that's not how it works, and it sure, certainly didn't work that way tonight. Hence the four goals against. Yeah, case in point, there was a play where the Drysaddle, Perry, Kane line were out. They're not known to be fast. They were all deep in the offensive zone. 
Brett Kulak decides this is a good time to come pinching up the sidewall. Yes. He gets beat, and it's a, like a two-on-one from like the top of the face-off circle in defensive zone. They've already got everybody beat, and they haven't even got it over their own blue line yet. And you think, what do you? And that, this is with the lead. You know, yeah, it was three. It's not like they're. Then. It's not like they're they're going hard for goals. It's like they're just going hard for goals. But I mean, it was not like they they needed the goals and had to take chances. <sighs> All right, your number. Well, I'm going to go with two numbers because they're to do with the same player: two hundred and one hundred and twenty-seven. And that is uh, 200 is the number of points in the career of Cody Cece, which is a real nice mark for a, uh, a defensive defenseman. It doesn't pile in the points, never gets any power play points. But now he's, you know, been around long enough and sort of gradually collected points. And he finally hit that milestone of 200 tonight at the uh, uh, 8.48 mark of the first period on Dreisaitl's goal. And on that play, much more impressive than his assist was the flyby screen that he did. Perry was was camped out in front, screening the goalie. And then just before Drysaddle shot, CeCe went flying. The end zone replay yeah. really showed it. Went yeah. flying through, and the goalie kind of lost. He was kind of looking around and lost his short side post, and bam. That's where Leon put it. And then just a couple minutes later, uh, Cody CeCe scored a goal. Cody CeCe scores a goal. Just 127 games since his last goal, which was scored in game two of the 2022-23 campaign in a in a failed comeback uh, that they lost to Calgary Flames on Hockey Night in Canada. And it was, uh, that was the last time. And since then, he's missed two games, and otherwise the Oilers have played 129, and he played 127 of them without any joy until tonight. So uh, it was a point shot through a screen by Nugent Hopkins and off the skate of, I believe it was Mort Sider, who had a tough, tough game. What was he, minus one? Minus four. Okay. Minus four. So He's wishing tough. that the Detroit Red Wings had drafted Philip Broberg <laughs> <laughs> with his pick. Yeah, yeah, and the Oilers would have picked Sider instead. Yeah. yeah. Anyways, uh, that, and so the puck caught. Uh, cider skate and it's just one of those nights like the Detroit goalies hardly stopped anything really yeah and when they did the Oilers scored on the rebound and this was the the starting goalie uh, Billy Huso that hadn't played in seven weeks and he got hurt in the before the first TV timeout and when the Oilers scored he came out I think he strained himself making a he did make a great save off of Nugent Hopkins in the early going on a rebound shot and then uh, he came out, and uh, Alex Lyon, who was going to get a very well-deserved night off after playing something like 15 out of 17 for Detroit, uh, was shoved in there early, and he just did not have a good... And he's been hotter than a pistol, but his 921 save percentage took a beating tonight because he let in seven goals on 29 shots. Ouch. So... Yikes! It'll be down to nine, yeah. twelve, or something. That'll be an adjustment, a yeah. correction, a correction. There you go. Statisticians call it. It was his his <laughs> safe percentage, Bruce, was unsustainable. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. well. uh, 
Yeah, let me just see what his save percentage is now. Let's see if they've updated it at HockeyDB. 9.15. Oh, well, it's a tire than I would have guessed after that. <clears throat> All right. Um, Bruce, my number is third. Three for third. Connor McDavid is now tied for third in NHL scoring. And he has worked his way up. I think he was like in the low teens for a long time. Worked his way up to the, you know, not eight, nine, 10, nine, eight. Now he's tied for third with David Pasternak. 77 points in 47 games. He's at 1.64 points per game played. The leader, uh, Nikita Kucherov, McDavid's 13 points behind. Kucherov, though, is at 1.7 points per game. McDavid, 1.64 points per game. Kucherov has played 53 games, McDavid 47. I think, of course, McDavid has missed two games because of injury, which he's not getting back. But he does have four games in hand on Kucherov. So, um, you know, McDavid some... Missed two, yeah. yeah, McDavid missed two. So McDavid has some ability to come, to, to work his way back. And my bet is he will, he's going to win the scoring title and he's going to be the M league MVP this year, Bruce, because of the order's massive turnaround from the start of the year. And his comeback in the scoring race, those two things will combine with an incredible plus minus, which he's going to put up this season. And um, he will he will be the NHL's um, uh, um, Hart Trophy winner. I, and again, I don't think he, like, we've heard, I think that he doesn't care anymore about these kind of personal awards. It's not on his mind. Um, you smile a little bit about that. Uh, I think they care, but I think he what he wants is the Conn Smythe and the Stanley Cup. Mm -hmm. That's what Connor McDavid dies. Those I, just are the want, prizes. I just want to F and win, is what he said to mm -hmm. Vinny DeHarnay last year. DeHarnay apologized for a mistake that gave McDavid a minus, and he said, I don't care about Oh, that's that right. Stat, I just want to F and win. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> we're seeing it. Like, he is, he is, delivered. Uh, he is the Tasmanian devil of uh, desire for victory this year. He's just... Um, Crazy to win this year, which is really good news for the Oilers. Bruce, here's the conundrum. I, I, um, so uh, Craig McTavish was on Oilers now, and they were talking about the Oilers at the trade deadline and, um, you know, wondering what the Oilers need to do. And uh, I'll just go find my story on this because I can quote him exactly then. What he had to say and... Um, Where is it? Here we go. Um, McTavish said the orders might well be in need of another player. Um, he says Edmonton is just one of the top four contenders in the Western Conference and not the top team in, in his yeah. opinion. He, he had Vancouver ahead of them and Vegas and Colorado ahead of Edmonton with Edmonton and Dallas kind of battling it out. And he said, depth is not a strong point on the orders. Quote, it's unlikely that given the current structure and makeup of our team that we can win. Maybe, but unlikely. I would say we're tied for fourth best team in the conference. And he also said, quote, well, let me just, this computer monitor. Quote, we need some improvement to amp up our chances to win the cup. So, you know, I, I have been kind of in the camp with maybe the orders don't need to do a whole heck of a lot to win the Stanley Cup. But he's, McTavish is obviously a hockey expert and he, he's he got a different take on it. So 
these last two games, we've seen the Oilers slip into the, some bad habits. They gave up 15 grade A shots against the Kings. They gave up 20 against Detroit. Um, the fourth line has not been, third and fourth lines have not been doing very well. There's been some issues on defense. Um, goalie hasn't been an issue. What do you think? Do you think they need to make that big move? Because there's lots of people who argue, like I know Alan Mitchell, uh, Low Tide has argued, like the Oilers need to go all in and make a big move, I think. Mm-hmm. What do you think? Big move Is it big move time or not? Well, I think they're going to make some moves. See, uh, I made the case <clears throat> in a post recently that what they what they're missing out is depth scoring. Like they they are not getting really anything from their fourth line and parts of their third line, and uh, that um, they they only have uh, uh, eight forwards that have five goals. You know, on the season, they got a bunch of guys way down there. Holloway got his third tonight, and it was a big goal. I mean, sometimes you need those bottom guys to chip in and. Uh, and it was nice to get one from him. Uh, and they did change out tonight, Janmark for Gagne, but uh, it didn't really make much of an impact on the game. Uh, but you look at some of these teams, and, you know, they're four lines deep of guys that can hurt you. And, uh, you know, Vegas in particular. Uh, and they did hurt Edmonton with their fourth line in the playoffs last year. <coughs> But some think, well, you make a trade, big trade for a top six guy, and then you wind up layering guys like Fogel uh, and McLeod uh, on the third line. And that, in theory, because what they were doing earlier, gives those lines some scoring. Although both those guys have cooled off, and Fogel in particular is struggling. And McLeod, yeah. But um, uh, their scoring depth is kind of suspect uh, and of course the good news is that they have the high high impact guys at the top of the of the lineup so that you know that you expect the the distribution of goals to be a little funky on on a team like this but it still would be nice to be getting the bottom line that could chip in occasionally yeah uh, you know the trade that i like that i'd like to see them replicate like do a trade like this is remember mm-hmm. a few years ago two years ago the abs picked up Arturi Lekkinen. yeah and this is a similar trade to one I think McTavish mentioned that the Vegas picked up Barbashev. Mm-hmm. And that kind of trade. Both those guys killed Edmonton. In the yeah, both those, you know, if the owners could get that that winger in a trade. Mm-hmm. Now, both of those guys ended up signing, you know, signing with the team they went to. And I don't know if that's going to be as much of a possibility with the owners given their cap constraints. And even now fitting them in under the cap is going to be extremely difficult. So that this is why there's talk of moving out perhaps mm-hmm. the defenseman and giving Philip Broberg a shot at the trade deadline. Frank Saraboli uh, suggested that Broberg's going to play a, a big part of the Oilers' trade deadline, meaning, um, as he clarified, that uh, that he thinks Broberg might make the team at that point. And um, he, they, they've had his daily face-off website has had Brett Kulak on the trade list forever. Mm-hmm um this year so um seems like forever it's just been a month um so i'm not sure i don't know but if they if they could get that kind of center or winger for the third line you know just someone really super solid two-way player 
You know, Corey Perry looks like he's going to be, he didn't have a very good night tonight on defense, although he had a great, he screened the total eclipse of the sun screen on uh, the dry subtle goal, which was fantastic. But Corey Perry looks like he's going to help, but uh, yeah. So I'm not sure what they're going to, how much they're going to have to give up, but you know, they have the first round pick this year that they can move out. Um, and some players on the farm that have value. Um, so we'll see. I'm, I'm not a, if they can, if, if that forwards there, you know, that, that would be fantastic. So maybe the, that forward will be there. A first round pick off is awfully enticing for a team, right? Yeah. Um, and they, you know, if they have an expiring contract, now the orders, did what do they want to do that on a rental? Probably yeah. they do, I think. Probably. Well, they for do. the right rental, I think they give up the first. <clears throat> yeah. But anyway, they they got. I mean, you keep hearing about Jake Gensel, and I keep looking at Pittsburgh right in the playoff run in the East, and I'm thinking, yeah, how who's GM that's going to go in and tell Sid and Gino and and uh, and Latang and Carlson that, hey, we're paying you guys a fortune to you know into your dotage. But this year we just traded away one of the, you know, one of your top teammates for futures. Like that would be just totally contrary to what Pittsburgh is about right now, which is veterans going for the, for the, you know, the last glory. So I, I'm not at all sure that Gensel's going to spring free out of Pittsburgh, much as people sort of see this name and oh boy, would he ever be perfect? And they start to fixate on him, but. You got to look at the other team and what would be their, you know, what is their uh, reason to trade this guy? I mean, if they lose the next eight straight and they're out of the hunt, then sure. But yeah. That doesn't seem likely to happen. Well, let's just have a look where they are right now in the standings. I understand they lost a couple games over the weekend, but it's still yeah, so they early. Lost two one goal games in regulation. So they really did take a setback. Well, the orders did them a favor tonight, didn't they? Because yep. uh, Detroit's another team. Detroit's in the final wild card spot. Wild card spot with sixty points. Then there's New Jersey, the Islanders, the Capitals. Oh, Pittsburgh's quite a bit behind. By points, there's they're... seven points behind. They got three games in hand. So yep, they win those three games. They're <clears> one <throat> point behind. You know, you yeah. can't say you're out of it when you got that many. You know, th two, three, four games in hand yeah. on everybody around them. So by percentage. Uh, they're uh, tenth in the East, so two out of the second wild card spot. Well, the Leafs have lost Morgan Riley for for five games, so maybe uh, they're just they just have sixty two points in um, Detroit to sixty. They're not. They won tonight, and I kind of figured they'd be motivated tonight after playing a poor game in Ottawa, and then all that. And then there's Philly, right, who's lost their goalie, Carter Hart. Mm -hmm. So they might be in tough. So, yeah, it's it's hard to know. Um, David Perron looks like – David Perron might be the, like the kind of pickup that, that would be a good idea for the Oilers. He's a he's that kind of um, two-way player, I think, at this – and nasty. So uh, maybe we'll see him. He always was greasy. He had a goal, and a, goal and assist and a plus one tonight <clears throat> in an 8-4 loss. He was uh, one of Detroit's uh, um, good play. And they had quite a few. They just had their troubles defensively and stopping pucks. Some people are hoping for Eberle, but I just, 
I just don't. I think there's he's too expensive, and he's not the right player. I don't think he's. I think he's too much of a. They don't need that particular kind of player. Five point five. I mean, even if they keep half of it. Yeah. You know, like how much better than than Sam Gagne is Everly this year? Like, I mean, yeah. Points per per sixty. I think um, Gagne is doing pretty well. I mean, Jordan Everly is still mm-hmm. a better player probably than Sam Gagne, but he's he's having quite a down year. I mean, I haven't watched him, so I don't know. But I just don't see him as stylistically the kind of player that they need. They need they need a really tough, aggressive two way hockey player who can also put up some points. Yeah. So, Perron's more in the Perron's more of what I'm thinking of of that kind of player. So we'll see, Bruce. That's the conundrum. I guess we don't have the answer to that conundrum, do we? Well, but we don't have to have it right now. We've well, got... We can have the same conundrum every podcast between now and deadline. <laughs> we will. Because Oil Country sure does like to talk about trade deadline possibilities and sometimes impossibilities. But it's fun to, it's fun to consider. It is indeed. Well, Bruce, uh, you're doing the game grades, correct? I am. So I'll let you get at it. And yeah. uh, thanks for talking tonight. All right. Thanks for listening, everyone. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast.